Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to episode two of the 80s Glam Metal Cast. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I talk to the down-home, kick-ass, rock-and-roll outlaw, Ron Keel. We talk the newest release by Ron Keel Band, Fight Like a Band. We talk Keel's past and future, and what he has slated for 2020. All Ron's life, he's been fighting for his music, for his family, and for his fans. Enjoy. All right, Ron, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. Pleasure to be talking to you this evening. It's great to be on with you, Mike. Thanks for letting me talk the rock and rock the talk with you and your listeners. I know you've been a big fan and a big supporter of mine for a long time, so this is way cool to uh, to have this discussion. I hope you enjoy it as much as I will. Very good, very good. So uh, earlier this year, Ron Keel Band released Fight Like a Band. I think you guys did a great job honoring uh, 80s metal and your southern rock roots and pushing it into the new era. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that album? Well, I, uh, I have a, a long story to tell. I'll try, try and make it as short as possible. But this album was born from the experiences that I've been through the last five years with the guys in the Ron Keel band, D.C. Cother, a lead guitar, my longtime bass player for 20 years plus now, Gino Arce on bass, Jeff the Rev Kohler on drums, Dakota Scott Schmidt on keyboards. And we all relocated to Sioux Falls, South Dakota five years ago to be part of a huge $70 million entertainment franchise called Badlands Pawn. We became the house band for that enterprise and really had carte blanche to to put my dream team together. And I chose these guys and brought this team together. We were able to uh, do some big shows with uh, all the bells and whistles. I mean, Pyro and the tour bus and living the dream bigger and better than ever. After a year, that business imploded, went out of business, uh, doors closed, whatever you want to call it. And the guys and I knew that we had something really special. The chemistry, the music, the, the camaraderie that we have in this band was, was too good to let go. So we decided to rebrand as the Ron Keel Band and continue moving forward. Well, within a few weeks of that decision, my wife, Renee, was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And all of a sudden, when you get that diagnosis, man, life changes. I know a lot of our our friends and family and fans and listeners, everybody knows somebody who's been touched by cancer. And when you get that diagnosis, all of a sudden, you're at war. And my focus had to land squarely on my wife and caring for her and making sure that I was there beside her through every every stage, every phase of that battle. So all of a sudden, now that we have a new start, a new a new lease on life as the Ron Keel Band, and we're ready to get started with 2017, I had to go to the guys in the band and say, look, man, I can't tour next year. I can do a few shows close to home, but I've got to stay with Renee and make sure she gets through this cancer treatment Ended up being eight surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation, the whole deal. And the guy stuck with me. Uh, any of these guys in this band could, could be making ten times the money they're making with me playing for somebody else. These are world-class, amazing musicians that if, if any of them would have wanted to, to go elsewhere or do, or do another gig, I would have given them my blessing and uh, wished them the best, but they all stuck by me. They, they had my back. They were my support group through that entire cancer treatment process with my wife, Renee. And because we couldn't tour that year in 2017, we decided to lock in at my basement and write some songs. And all of the songs on Fight Like a Band came out of that experience. The adversity that we were undergoing both in business and in life made us stronger, made us better, and created a batch of songs that really 
as far as I'm concerned, is, is some of the best songwriting of my career and some of the most heartfelt, emotional, true statements that I've ever sang or played. So uh, I appreciate everybody that, that has listened to and, and enjoyed Fight Like a Band. It's a very special album for me. It's more than just a, a product or a piece of merchandise we sell to shows. It's a way of life, and we say this to each other every day with my, my guys that are, that are in this group with me. We fight like a band, and I come from a time when that meant something, Mike. I mean, now we, everybody has projects, quote, projects, unquote, and this is not a project. When I was younger, being in a band meant something. It meant that these are, this is your street gang, your football team, your you know, your, your, your group of guys or, or girls or your, your, your family. And being in a band is all that and more. And I'm so grateful to have that band mentality and chemistry with the Ron Keel Band at this stage of my career. I'm very thankful for the opportunity with uh, EMP Label Group to release that album. And uh, really, really, it's an album that I'll be listening to 10 years from now and, and still shedding a tear and putting my fist in the air along with some of these great songs that we've created this year. Ron, if you don't mind me asking, how is your wife doing now? She's good, man. Thanks for asking. And everybody, that's usually the first question. How's Renee doing? She's been cancer-free now for almost two years. It was a long, hard battle, but she's healthy. She's happy, and we're all better for it. It was, uh, you know, trying to put that in perspective, is, is too much to describe in an interview or a phone conversation. So we released a book. It's coming out in December. It's called Anything But Pink. Renee wrote a book about her experience, and I contributed my perspective from the husband's standpoint, from the caregiver. She, she created a blog post uh, along the way as she was going through every treatment, every stage of the game, or the battle. It's not a game. It was a battle. It was a fight. And as she created those blog posts, it was therapeutic for her to, to write about it and to get it out of her system and to keep her busy and focused on conquering the disease and coming out healthy on the other end of it. And I went back and, and wrote my perspective from a husband's standpoint and also telling the story of how the band evolved through that time, writing the songs and playing some shows and, and building the Ron Keel band in the face of that cancer battle. So she's released, uh, or she will release in December, the book Anything But Pink, which uh, is, is a great cr chronicle of that battle, and hopefully it will inspire some other people that are going through the same thing, because we, we think positive, Mike. We, we stayed positive the whole way. We did not give the disease any uh, momentum or credibility in our lives. We just stayed positive and work towards the next day, the next hour, the next treatment, the next gig, the next song, and we can't do it okay. So thanks for asking. The craziest thing, you know, I listen to you talk here about all this, is the first uh, podcast interview that I did was with Jay Pepper from Tiger Tales, and he talked about their bass player, uh, Pepsi Tate, which died, he died of uh, pancreatic cancer. Um, I lost my mom to cancer uh, in 2015. So here it is. There's just three random people, right? And look how prominent cancer has been in our lives and in so many other people's lives. Yeah, it, it, it is a uh, sad reality. It touches all of us in one way or another, whether it's you or someone you love or someone you know. We're all affected by it. And I don't, I don't even know how to, how to quantify that in, in this interview, but... Uh, I'm just glad that our story had a happy ending because I've lost a lot of friends, dear friends, the last couple of years. Just since Renee was diagnosed, best man at my wedding, my best friend, Big George Dolphin. He was one of my best friends, obviously, best man at my wedding, 10 years younger than me. Diagnosed, six months later, he's gone. Brian Ward, a guitar player I toured with and played with, a dear friend, uh, pancreatic cancer as well, and a young, good-looking, healthy Son of a bitch. I mean, and all of a sudden he gets diagnosed, and six months later he's gone. So I'm just happy. Our story had a happy ending. I wish everyone's cancer story had that same happy ending that, that mine and Renee's did.
Well, one thing you touched on this uh, a little bit when what you, when you were talking about the album. This is what really hits hits me with this album is uh, man. You ready for some compliments? I'll bring it on. That's <laughs> all I can get. Yeah, man. Well, hey, you always have been, but I think as you've gotten older and wiser, uh, you're a killer storyteller. There are some moments, especially well, let's just talk about the song "Fight Like a Band." You know, each verse. This is just my take on it as a listener. Is, is like a mini story, okay? So you're talking about, you know, the doctor's office, you know, getting that diagnosis. I've been there. So I, I, I'm I'm right in the zone with you on that one. And then your second verse, you're kind of going to, that, that's the band, you know, a band going through a struggle. And and, I, and there's just so much awesome uh, storytelling on this album. Also with, um, it, it's obviously not as heavy uh, subject matter wise, but when you get into rock and roll guitar, I, once again, I'm, I'm following this story. It's like this dude needs money, cash is in the guitar at the pawn shop. Uh, you know, later on in the song, a rocker's handing the guitar to the kid. You know what I mean? Dude, I'm like visualizing this stuff in my head as you're singing it. Well, music is supposed to do that. It's supposed to paint pictures in your head, in your heart. And sometimes you'll create a song like The Right to Rock, which really just tells you, how I feel about freedom of expression, a song that makes you want to put your fist in the air and scream along. And then there's times to tell stories. Rock and roll guitar is a perfect example. The title track to the new album, Fight Like a Band, a great example. And, and that really did come out of those experiences. When I wrote the song, I uh, we had the music and we had the uh, drums, bass, and guitars all recorded. And I had the melody in my head, the lyrics were done, but I had never sung the song. One of those songs that we didn't do in rehearsal and went into the studio to cut the lead vocal. And all of a sudden I get into that first verse. When the doctor came in and gave her the news, she cried, she smiled, she did what she had to. And reliving those moments, that the day we got the diagnosis, I'll never forget one minute of that day. And I was in there singing the vocal for the first time ever, and I'm just crying my eyes out, losing it, breaking up. The engineer, my co-producer, Mike Dresch, asked, hey, man, are you okay? You need a minute? Or, no, let's just plow through this, man. Let's just sing it. And that emotion of, of, and that's one reason why I didn't rehearse the song or practice it before I cut the lead vocal in the studio, because I wanted that emotion to come out in that lead vocal track so that you hear what I feel when you're listening to the, the song, Fight Like a Band. Well, we've been, we're talking about some heavy stuff, but I, now, now I want to lighten it up a little bit because I think you are still, <laughs> and you have always been, uh, you're like the king of like one-liners. <laughs> Anybody ever told you this? One-liners? Uh, well, you know, every line counts, man, in lyrics and song, song titles. I really believe you have to say something and... God forbid we're going to get the country. Oh, he, 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 he's gone country. Backlash. But that's one thing I really learned from country music was that every line has to count. It's got to mean something. I have a hard time putting lyrics on top of music. I know a lot of rock bands do that. We did that back in the day with Keel. The guys would come up with a riff, and I'd put lyrics on top of it. We even did that with the Streets of Rock and Roll album 10 years ago with our comeback reunion album. And Mark wrote the music for Push and Pull, and I put the lyrics on top of it. But that's a difficult way to go for me now. I, I, I believe that the lyrics and the music kind of have to be born simultaneously, and you kind of feel like they grow together as a relationship. As you're hearing these riffs in your head, you're also hearing the the lyrics and the, the song title and the message and the story in your head. So I kind of write those songs simultaneously now. And I love that compliment, being a storyteller. Uh, if I'm around a campfire or if I'm at a bar on the bar stool next to you with a shot uh, or with a guitar in my hand, doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you a story, and I hope that you'll enjoy it and uh, remember it when I'm done. Yeah, and I think where I'm going with that too is uh, is like you've got a lot. You're witty, man. Is what I'm trying to say. Like something like in the song "Old School," you know, I'll kick your ass and then talk smack. You know, that that could be like in an action movie, right? That, that Schwarzenegger could say that, Ron. 
I appreciate that. And, you know, it, it's not rocket science. I don't think too much about it. A lot of these lyrics, like old school on this record, came from just sitting alone with the music and letting my heart come out. you got to open the, open the floodgates and let your emotions pour out and just be you. Write songs that you love and that you're proud of, and hopefully the world or somebody will hear it, listen, and enjoy it. And uh, I, I'm glad that you, you appreciate those aspects of my songwriting. It is deeper. It, I, li- I like to think that it's, it's deep, but it's really accessible to the common man or the common listener. Uh, anybody can listen to these songs. And what I'm talking about, what I'm singing about, what I'm feeling, and get it, it's, uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, it, it, it's a matter of just letting your feelings and your emotions come out and sing what you want to say. Now, to counter counterpose that, telling a story is different because when you're telling a story about whether it's rock and roll guitar or Hearts Gone Wild, which is a great story song on this new record, you have to kind of, like Stephen King, or uh, he, Stephen King never actually lived through the stuff he wrote about. He's one of the greatest authors of all time. I love his, his work, and I love reading his books. And, but he, he didn't actually live through that stuff. He's creating fiction. And sometimes when we write a story uh, and put it in song context, Hearts Gone Wild is one of those songs. It's, it's a story song about two people that meet in the night, fall in love, and I don't want to give away the ending in case anybody hasn't heard the ending of the song, but the guy dies at the end. And, you know, I, I mean, I've never been through that. I mean, I've, but I could write a song about it from a storyteller standpoint and hopefully just really paint those pictures. When I listen to that song, and hopefully when you or anybody else listens to that song, you'll see that story unfold in your mind's eye and you'll be entertained. That's what it's all about, just entertaining people. Uh, last point I want to make on the record, man. Your voice. You still got your voice. Not all the 80s uh, guys who were screamers and singers back in the day can say that. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that, and, and I work hard at it. I practice a lot. I do believe the voice comes from the heart, and I, I have to scream my guts out often and early to maintain that level of uh vocal ability it's uh i know a lot of my friends and peers don't do that uh they'll wait until the tour dates and they'll go on stage and whatever comes out comes out man i am in my rehearsal studio at home literally screaming my guts out going through the moves flailing my mic stand in the air screaming my guts out doing the show by myself up to three hours a day. And that's because I'm a firm believer in practice, hard work, conditioning, staying healthy, and staying focused, and wanting to sound good. Uh, I want to sound good. I want to be able to listen back to the recordings and and watch the videos on YouTube and be proud. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass the guys that are with me. I've I've got a, a standard to live up to, and I work hard to maintain that standard. I'm not the same singer I was in 1986. I am better in a lot of ways. And I do believe that the new versions of Tears of Fire, The Right to Rock, Somebody's Waiting, Because the Night, on the Fight Like a Band album, they are light years ahead of what I did in 1986 and 87. That being said, some of those supersonic high notes, for some reason, are out of my vocabulary now, maybe because I'm getting a little older, but... I like to, to think that I'm still strong and I'm still delivering a product that I'm proud of and hopefully people will enjoy listening to what I do and enjoy coming to the show. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head because your voice is a little bit different than it was, but I feel like it has more uh, depth to it. It's got some a different tone to it. And I don't know if you're an Angel fan, um, but they just did a new album. And for some of us who maybe have listened to their 70s albums and haven't heard anything from them in a long time, uh, Frank Domino, he sounds a lot different. He doesn't sound bad. He sounds great. But come on, it's 40 years later. His voice is deeper. It just has a different tone now. 
Yeah, Frankie is one of the, the – he sets the bar pretty high for, for guys like us because – and I know Frank well. We, we've done a lot of shows together in Vegas and sung together on many occasions. He is still – and he's even older than I am. I don't know how much older than I am he is, I, but he still looks like he's 17, and he still sounds like it as well. He has changed and evolved. We all do, man. It's part of life. We're not going to be the same people we were 30, 40 years ago. We're going to grow and mature and evolve and change. Doesn't mean we can't stay young at heart and still have a good time singing and screaming and playing music and enjoying rock and roll. It's just a part of the, the growth process. So many people are uh, stuck in the 80s. And, and, I, and I get that a lot from people. Hey, man, I, I'm just stuck in the 80s. And I feel for you because... Man, there's been 30 great years in between, and I've enjoyed every one of them. I've lived life to the fullest every day, every month, every year. And for me, today is the best day of my life until tomorrow. And, yeah, the 80s were great. And I know your your handle is 80s glam metal and, and all that. But you're listening to the new music, and you're getting it. You're hearing the stories and the songs and the voice and it doesn't mean that the 80s were great, but today could be great, too. And so I, I encourage everybody to live life to the fullest and enjoy every, every day above ground. It's a blessing, and we're allowed to, to have a good time. That's what we're put here for, and uh, we only get one go-round, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm still on my first, my first life here on this earth. <laughs> but, man, I, I love it. I enjoy it. And I love the 80s. I love what we did, what we accomplished, all the things that I've done. Man, I've never had it so good. With with uh, And I talk about this with, with my band in our latest little video interview, a documentary that we released on the, on, online a couple of weeks back. I think our age is, is an advantage to us because we can't quit or go somewhere else or, or just, you know, our life is not a blank canvas in front of us with, 30, 40 years ahead to write a new story. We've got to live right now. We've got to enjoy this music, enjoy our lives, our relationships, our friendships, our family, while we still can. So that's what I do. And I, I try to bring that emotion and that inspiration to life in every song and every show I do. So, right, you know, we're not in the 80s anymore. And let's talk about some of the things that, that we face in this modern era. And one thing is um, streaming. What, what do you think of the whole streaming and, and a physical product really not meeting much anymore? What do I think about it? That's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, as an artist, I love being able to share my music with people all over the world. I love being able to stream my radio show, my, my songs, and entertain people, because that's what I was put here to do. Whether it's good for business or not, that's another question. And it is, it is what it is, man. Life, music, business, we, it's all changed since back in the day. In new times, people must make new ways. And whether we like it or not, it's here to stay. Now, when the when the car was invented, a lot of people were pissed off because they had to get rid of their covered wagons. But man, that's, that's technology. That's that's progress. It's life. Get used to it, and start paving the roads. Because you know, a hundred years ago, we didn't have any paved roads. Everybody was riding a, a, a horse-drawn carriage. Now we got cars, and you better get out of the way. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. So I. I get it. I, I, I deal with it as best I can. Does it affect my industry and my, my income, my business, my livelihood? Yeah, it does in a big way. But it's my job and my challenge to find new ways to achieve victory and whatever, however you quantify that victory. Uh, success is a big word. Am I successful? I'm successful now as, as much as I was back in the 80s. However, I'm not charting as high or selling as many records, but success is quantified in personal satisfaction, critical acclaim, people like yourself and our listeners and our fans that are listening to what I'm doing and enjoying it, making a difference in somebody's life, whether it's being able to, to do uh, charity events and, and perform at benefits that raise money for good causes, 
whether I can, and, and I do a lot of different stuff. I'm an author, I'm a radio show host, I'm a touring musician, I'm a songwriter. I do a lot of different stuff to try and make ends meet. I certainly think that streaming and the state of the industry is going to have a huge effect on the next generation of musicians. But as much as I say that, I keep waiting for the bottom to fall out, Mike, and it doesn't because young bands are still putting out great new music in spite of all the adversity and, and the odds are stacked against them. And somehow I keep hearing it every day, every week, people are sending me songs and videos and music. It's really, really good. As long as it's good, man, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I feel for these young musicians today trying to make a living in the business. I, I'm blessed that I had a measure of success back in the 80s that has given me enough momentum or fumes in the tank, so to speak, to, to still be able to, to ride that, that wave, you know, what, 35 years later. But these young musicians now, nowadays, are, they're, they're hoping that they can draw 50 or 75 people to their gig or Maybe they'll get a, a thousand streams on Spotify. Man, I, I, I get the checks. I, I get the royalty checks from Spotify and Pandora. And for the first time in my life, they are, they're two digits. It's like five <laughs> cents for Pandora. It's like, you know, I, I just laugh at it. I don't even cash them. But, you know, luckily I've got some other avenues that I can explore. And I, I still try and uh, make a living, whether it's my subscription site at Patreon dot com slash Kill where fans can subscribe for six ninety nine a month and they get all of me man they get all the interaction all the uh, the the cool exclusive video audio uh, personal fan experiences and everything that for me is the new platform that's how I can work online I created that because when Renee was diagnosed with breast cancer as I told you earlier in this interview I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to tour again ever I didn't know if I could leave the house because my wife has cancer. I'm staying home until it's gone. So I created a platform online where I can entertain people around the world from my house at patreon.com slash Ron Keel. I do house concerts, guitar lessons, uh, online video chat. I post all of the old classic Keel videos from the 80s. I, uh, I, I try and share every moment, every experience, every piece of content, whether it's music, audio, video, uh, fan experiences. I try to share that online with my fans because I believe that's the best platform for me. If I can't get to your town on tour next year, you can come to my house at patreon.com slash Ron Keel. So let's talk a little bit about social media. Uh, somebody For somebody like myself, social media has been great. This is how I've been able to connect with a lot of artists that I was a fan of uh, as a young person and, and still today. Uh, that's how we've kind of connected through social media. But um, it's funny because there'll be times where, and it, okay, so my point would be somebody like myself, what I've tried to do with my page is I've tried to promote people, right? Try to be positive. But I know, I think it was the other night, I don't know if you remember this, I posted, uh, I found a rare clip of Right to Rock, you know, and then you've got somebody, you got like a troll, right? So, so there's, there's the good part of social media, you know, people promoting you and it's word of mouth, it's great. Uh, but then there's also this uh, this negative piece, the trolls. What do you think of all that? Well, social media is a weapon, and you can use it to defend yourself or to hurt somebody and everything in between. I like to use these analogies. Music is a vehicle. It gets me from point A to point B. Social media is a weapon, and I love so much about it it's not going away, but it will change. Uh, I can tell you right now, 10 years ago when we released Streets of Rock and Roll with Frontiers Records, it was part of the deal that you had to have your MySpace page on the album artwork and on your promo photos. It's a part of the deal. You've got to include MySpace.com slash Keelbam. All right? Now, MySpace is gone. And in my, I believe, that Facebook will be gone at some point. Uh, at one point, everybody in the industry had to have 
AOL Instant Messenger. If you didn't have that, you weren't up to speed. You weren't able to do business without AOL Instant Messenger. Well, that's come and gone. They all come and go. Social media is the Internet's way of keeping us connected, and you're going to find the best and the worst that our culture has to offer on that platform. It's very difficult now to find the good stuff. Now, Facebook is built to gather your information and sell it to advertisers. You might have 5,000 friends, and I've got 5,000 friends, 25,000 followers. They're not hearing what I'm saying. They're not hearing my music. They're not interacting with me. There are only 150 people at one time. Due to the algorithms embedded in Facebook, they're trying to sell you stuff. They want to sell your info to advertisers so that they can become, Mark Zuckerberg can become even richer than he already is. I get that. It's still a necessary evil. I want to, I want to go on Facebook, and I do every day. I try and create a post, whether it's both a radio show, my business activities. Sometimes I'll share a joke, or I'll just be personal and, and show the fans that I'm, I'm human. And uh, whether it's a, a personal insight into my life and what I'm doing today, I get that. I love being able to go online and see what my granddaughter wore to school today. That's really cool. I love that aspect of it, but it's not helping our business. Back in the day, you could get played on MTV twice in one day, and you'd sell 500,000 records the next day. Now, somebody shows your video on YouTube, you're going to get $40 in the tip jar. You can see people on YouTube that are, they have 5 million views. And these guys are sitting around with a bucket in front of them. And there's $40 in the bucket. They got 5 million views. That's the way it is. And I'm not bitching about it. I'm just trying to describe it in a way that makes sense to me and, and hopefully everybody that, that's listening. It's, uh, it's part of our life. It's part of our culture. It's a necessary evil. But like I said, it's a weapon. You can use it to your advantage, or you can hurt somebody with it. It's up to you. You know, you know what's really sad is, is when you think back to the '80s music video. I mean, we could even use Thriller as an example. And this is we're going way back. Okay, that that video is pretty amazing. And there was a, a ton of amazing '80s metal videos like Bark at the Moon. I mean, they they were pretty cool for their time. Could you imagine if MTV would have stayed the track that it was and we could have evolved with special effects and all these different things? I mean, uh, a music video by Ron Keel today could look like uh, Avengers Infinity War. It's so sad that we never got that to that point. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's still good. However, there's no use in spending a million dollars on a music video because it's not going to you're not going to get a return on your investment. And the, the MTV era was huge. It was just an extrapolation of what we went through in the 70s because when I was younger, when I was a teenager in the 70s, we were glued to shows like Don Kirshner's Rock Concert or Midnight Special where I saw bands like Aerosmith, Kiss, Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, and it was your only chance to see them. If you wanted to see Ted Nugent on TV or a video of him performing, you had to stay up until midnight on Friday to watch Ted Nugent on Don Kirshner's rock concert or the Midnight Special. Once it became everywhere, and it's, it's so easy to access on YouTube, it's not special anymore. You don't stay up for a week looking forward to that Friday. Ted Nugent's going to be on TV on Friday night at midnight. I can't wait. You're talking to your friends at school about it. You're, everybody's excited about it. Everybody's tuned in. Millions of people all over the, the, the world, all over the country, are tuned in to that, that broadcast when you saw KISS on TV for the first time. Those days are gone. But I'm glad I lived, I lived back in the day when those moments really meant something and they were really special. And our, our culture has become desensitized to those special experiences that you can, they're, they're disposable now. It's like fast food. Yeah, eat it. Yeah, 
and you you forget about it. You don't remember that fantastic meal, that that huge sirloin that you you ate at the the five star steakhouse. You know that special experience. It's just it's just a, a cheap hamburger, man. Eat it, shit it out. It's done. You know, and that that is the nature of our our culture and music and entertainment in general is always going to be a reflection of the culture in which it's created. I have this debate online with my fans and, and my friends all the time. In fact, I recently posted a, a Q&A responding to uh, Gene's, uh, of course, Gene Simmons, this is six years old that Gene said this, but I've got a college student friend of mine who asked me for my take on the rock is dead quote. And rock is not dead. By any stretch of the word, rock is not dead. Rock will never die. However, the 80s aren't coming back, man. And the glory days of Chuck Berry and Elvis, they're never coming back. The Beatles, the Who, the Stones, the 70s with Van Halen and Kiss and Judas Priest, the eight, those days are gone. There are some of us that are still alive and carrying the torch for the right to rock. And the, the fact is, there's nothing left to rebel against in this day and age. Back then, everybody was fighting for the right to rock. Everybody wanted freedom of expression. We were told what we could say, what we could wear, what we could do, and we got sick of it. As kids in the 70s, we all got sick of it. We rebelled in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. These kids were fighting for freedom of expression, the right to wear their hair how they wanted to wear their hair. They wanted to, to grow their hair long. They wanted to untuck their shirts. They wanted to, to ride motorcycles and be rebellious. And now nowadays, there's nothing to rebel against. Any kid can wear what they want to wear. They can even choose, they can change their gender, for God's sake. A, kid, a, 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 a teenager can say, oh, I think I'm a chick now, or I think I'm a dude now. And they can change their gender. They, they have the freedom to express themselves in any way they want to. Therefore, there's nothing left to fight for or fight against. And that's what rock and roll was all about in the first place, man. It was rebellion. It was anger. It was, you know, it was us getting pissed and, and showing the, the man or the establishment or our parents or the authorities that we're not going to take it. You know, not, not to quote Dee Snyder, but to quote Dee Snyder, we're not going to take it. Now, we're all going to take it. And who, uh, can you imagine Twisted Sister in, in 2020 coming up with a song that's called, okay, we're all going to take it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the world we live in, man. Well, I know something that people are getting excited about. They're getting excited about Motley Crue, Death Leopard, and Poison. And they, they're, they say there's a fourth slot. Why can't it be Keel? No, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that fourth slot would be uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people fighting over that fourth slot if there is one. Uh, I would love to do it, and if the phone rings, I'll be the first one to answer it. Uh, however, there are a lot of bands that deserve that slot, and I've gotten this question a lot recently in the last week or so since Motley Crue announced that. How do you feel about Motley Crue reunion? Well, man. Any profession, no matter what you do in life, whether you're a cop or a cook or a rock star or whatever, you've got the right to come out of retirement, especially if somebody's waving $150 million in your face. So I, Godspeed, God bless them. I hope it does well, and I hope, they, I hope the bands and the fans enjoy that experience. I totally support the fact that anybody, like I said, regardless of profession, has the right to to come out of retirement and do what they want to do. So in 2020, um, you're going to be doing a Southern Rock cover album, and you've got some songs on a Sabbath tribute. Why don't you tell everybody about that a little bit? Well, the Sabbath tribute came out months ago, by the way. You're an 80s rock fan, who, and obviously a big supporter of Ron Keel, and you have not heard Emerald Sabbath, Ron Keel singing Die Young with Vinnie Apathy and Rudy Sarzo, uh, all these great Black Sabbath tribute songs that came out months ago. You haven't heard it yet. 
Ron, I'm going to go in the corner and shame now. No, I have not. <laughs> well, you, you would like it. I promise you, man. <laughs> and, you know, after having been in Black Sabbath for a very short time in 1984, and having you know a contract signed and, and the interaction that I had with Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler, and being a part of the Sabbath family for a minute there in 1984, to finally see that dream realized this year with the Emerald Sabbath album, I uh, got to do Die Young, a Ronnie James Dio classic from the Heaven and Hell album, uh, Hold the Sky, an Aussie track, and Trashed, an Ian Gillen track from Born Again, to be able to do that album project with the All-Stars. This is literally 12 guys that used to be in Black Sabbath got together and uh, produced by Michael Sulebane from uh, Scotland, who is a huge Sabbath supporter and uh, a He's the guy who really put the whole project together. Uh, got me in the in the, the the studio to sing these songs. It's just uh, an amazing experience. I'm extremely proud of the result and very happy about that that album project. And hopefully, we'll do some more. Maybe there's a volume two Emerald Sabbath album on the way. I I could sing Black Sabbath songs all day and all night. And that, uh, like I said, that record came out. A few months back, and you can find it online at emeraldsabbath.com. How about the Southern Rock cover album? What what, you, what songs are you doing? Well, we, we were in the studio doing Fight Like a Band, and this is, gosh, this is over a year ago. We were recording the Fight Like a Band album. We would go in in the morning and, and warm up with some of our favorite Southern Rock covers. You know, we'd play some Almond Brothers or some Skinner or some Marshall Tucker, some Outlaws or Blackfoot. Or at the end of the day, when the session's over with, we would unwind and just start jamming on some of these old classics. And my co-producer, Mike Dresch, of course, he was recording. And once I started listening back to some of these tracks, I go, man, we've got something here. It's really... I love that classic, iconic Southern rock sound. And to pay tribute to those influences. I mean, when I was a kid... Yeah, I love metal. There was, on my turntable, Mike, there was Kiss, Judas Priest, Leonard Skinner, the Eagles, and I didn't know the, excuse me, I didn't know the difference. I thought it was all great music, and uh, that being born in Georgia and moving to Nashville at the age of 17, uh, living in Texas, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in the South growing up and, and still in my wild oats as uh, a rebel rocker in the, the southern United States, so to speak. So to be able to put together an album of southern rock covers, and we've got one from each of those bands. We've got, of course, Flirting with Disaster from Molly Hatchet. We've got 38 Special, Rockin' Into the Night, Train Train from Blackfoot, Ghost Riders in the Sky, which was our first single when we put the, the band together five years ago. Ghost Riders in the Sky, produced by Henry Paul from The Outlaws, the guy who has sung the song more than anybody produced our version of it. So I'm really excited about the South by South Dakota Southern Rock covers album coming out here in a couple of months. Yeah, that sounds great. I can I can definitely picture you doing some of those songs. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you're also working on an audio version of your book, correct? Yeah, I've been releasing the audio book one chapter at a time on my subscription site, patreon.com slash ronkeel. And reading the book for the first time since I wrote it, published five years ago, and now I'm reading it back into the microphone, has been a really amazing experience for me, and I think the fans are enjoying it. I've also got audio quotes from people in my life. Mark Ferrari from Keel, Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, who uh, was really responsible for getting us kick-started back in the 80s in 1981, 82 in, in L.A., uh, some of the reviewers and fans and friends are quoted in the book, so they sent me audio sound bites to include. There's some unreleased songs. Each chapter starts with a musical interlude, so to speak. And being able to read the book to my fans and our, our listeners and our audience and updating it now, because it's been five years since it was published, a lot's changed the last five years. So I'm adding some extra pieces into the audio book. And I, I hope that everybody enjoys listening to it as much as I'm enjoying reading it. You can catch that one chapter at a time 
at patreon.com slash Ron Keel. Now, this sounds good for me, Ron, because I don't have the book. Now, now, don't everybody start booing at me, right, uh, that's listening. I don't, have the, I don't have the Kiss books either, and that's my favorite band. I'm just not much of a reader, so I, obviously it sounds like the audio book. That might be the way to go for me. Um, now, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff in there. And I'll, I've, I think I've told you online a few times, I'm a huge fan of Larger Than Live. Please tell me you talk about Larger Than Live. Man, I'd love to talk about it. Tell me why you're such a huge fan of that album, Larger Than Live. You know what, what? is it about that album? I don't know. That, you know what? You know what? That, I, that grabs you. I, I, there's a well. How, how much time you got? No. Uh, what I think about Larger Than Live? <laughs> I, I think when I bought it, I, I think most bands that intermixed live with studio, the assumption was uh, throwaways with some live stuff. So that was uh, probably my assumption when I bought it, and when I got it. And put it on, I'm like, oh my god, these are like some of the best Keel songs I've ever heard. Uh, and it's not only just the songs, I think the sound production is, I can listen to that today, and it just still, it sounds, it probably sounds better than anything that would come out today. That's my opinion. Um, but I don't know, man, just something about that album just hits me. It, it, it's probably, it's, it's, that means a my, lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it, it's high up there for me. Man, I really appreciate that. And that is, an often underlooked Keel album. It came about in September of 1989. It was released, and at the time, it was really the last, the last shot after the first three albums with MCA and, and A&M. We were no longer with MCA, and we had one more shot, really. And going back to what Kiss did with Alive, Alive was their last shot. If Kiss hadn't hit big with Alive, they'd have been done. You know, because they released that live album and captured that energy, the history of rock and roll changed when Kiss released that first Kiss Alive album. And I wanted to, to try and capture that same type of lightning in a bottle, so to speak. But also I wanted to have the opportunity to record some of the new songs that I'd written in the studio. And that was the first major label album that I produced myself. So I produced the record myself, so I really appreciate the compliments on the sound quality and the production. But our backs were against the wall, Mike, on that record. It was really a do-or-die type of situation, at least I thought so at the time. And the, the live tracks were recorded at the Roxy in Hollywood, sold out, after Mark Ferrari had left the band, which is Brian J. on lead guitar and Scott Warren from Dio on keyboards. And the combination of doing half live, half studio was, was my personal vision and trying to capture what, if we got one more record to really show the world what we're all about, let's put the best of both worlds on one slab of vinyl, half live, half studio. And Really, really proud of that record. Uh, some of those songs, Dreams Are Not Enough, uh, So Many Good Ways to Be Bad, The Live Side, Right to Rock, Rock and Roll Outlaw, which are still staples on XM Sirius Satellite Radio. Uh, for some reason, they choose to play the live tracks. I'm cool with that. And that, uh, that, that was a special point in time for me as well. It was the final 80s Keel album. And... A uh, way to, I mean, literally, the the, al the album sold out immediately. I think the label probably pressed 100,000 copies and sold out and never manufactured any more. The album is now owned by Mark Ferrari, who actually owns the Masters. Uh, he bought the, the rights to that Master. And even though he didn't play on it, I'd love to see that album be reissued at some point. I'm, I'm extremely proud of it, and I'm, I'm glad that it's a special album in your collection as well. Thank you for the compliments. Yeah, no problem. You know, the funny thing was is that I'm going back to my one-liners, and when I think of so many good ways to be bad, Ron, that could be like James Bond right before a, a romantic scene. Oh, darling, there's so many good ways to be bad. I'm telling you, Ron, you could do movies. Well, you know, that, that that's part of songwriting for me. I always love those catchphrases colloquialisms and phrases that you've heard before that, that maybe you can spin in a different way, like 
cold day in hell, hot on your heels, or, uh, you know, trying to come up with phrases. The right to rock, to me, is probably the best of, of all of them to, to have that song title pop into my head, out of the blue somewhere, some night. Uh, the right to rock. I got it. The right to rock. And to, to have that an idea of that magnitude pop into your head, you write it down, you create a song, you're, what, 35 years later, you're still singing it, and it's still true. That subject matter still is as strong as it ever was, and the, uh, the message remains the same. We're all fighting for the right to rock. The, the battlefield has changed, but the fight remains the same. The last thing I got, to, and this is a quick one on Larger Than Live. This has always troubled me since a young man to today. Who is on the cover left to right? Dude, that's a good question. Who are, so is this Scott uh, Warren? And, if I, I can remember. I got, I got this. Okay. I'm trying to conjure a picture of the album cover in my mind's eye. Because the album cover is like the recording. It's half live, half studio. So the, on the studio side, left to right, that's Scott Warren on the left, who went on to play keyboards with Dio and uh, Black Sabbath. And it, Scott's had a, an amazing career and a great guy. He's not with Last in Line now. He's with the other Dio Disciples, is it? Yeah, um, yep. I hate to confuse my Dio. Uh, not tribute bands, but... Scott Warren, a uh, great keyboard player, and I'm really glad that I got to share that time with him in Keel. Uh, next is Dwayne Miller. If you're going left to right, looking at the album cover. Yep. Scott Warren, Dwayne Miller, Ron Keel's right side, then Ron Keel's left side, because I'm split down the middle, right? Yeah, you got like line, the slick back here. Yep. Yep. Like the album. And then uh, up on top of the uh, Marshall Stacks is Tony Palmucci on lead guitar, who played a lot of the lead guitar on that record on the studio side, and then Kenny Chase on, the original Keel bass player on the far right. Let's talk about Keel Fest. This sounds like it was pretty stacked up here with, with Keel and, and uh, Steeler. Let's talk about that. Man, what a great memory. A dream come true for me. May 10th in Columbus, Ohio, we had an event called Keel Fest where I was able to literally bring all my brothers in blood on stage in one place for one night, Keel, Steeler, and the Ron Keel Band. One solid three hour, over three hours, and no breaks, no intermissions, no stops. Uh, we started with Ron Keel Band, then we moved on to Keel, and then ended the night with Steeler, and then at the end of the night, of course, everybody on stage together singing The Right to Rock for the big finale. Uh, an amazing experience for me, just to prove that I could do it. Because it was a dream, one of those ideas that I, you know, you, you're hanging out in, in in your basement and you think, hey, Keel Fest, I think I should, I'd like to do a show with all of my bands on the bills on the same night, and it turns from an idea into an actual event. To see it evolve like that, a huge accomplishment. I'm very proud of that. It was a great show, man. I mean, all the bands, all the musicians played their asses off, got along great, shared the stage, and shared that moment in time with a lot of fans that flew in or drove in from all over the country. People made this their 2019 road trip, and I'll guarantee you, 80% of the audience was from elsewhere. I mean, the gig was in Columbus, Ohio, because we've got a pretty solid fan base there, but and the, the promoter there... Uh, Tong Productions really believed in the event and went the extra mile to make sure it was done and done right. But I guarantee you, man, 80% of the fans that were at that show came from all over, coast to coast, to be a part of Keel Fest. And do I want to do it again? Yeah. I've, I've got a couple of offers on the table. It's a huge undertaking. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And it's expensive. But, man, it was worth it. What would be the odds of ever getting Ingve to come? He's such an easygoing guy. He'd show up, wouldn't he? I don't think so. 
So, uh, Rock Candy releases. This is very exciting. Final Frontier in Kiel from 1987. Let's talk about that. We've been trying to get these reissues out for a number of years now to secure the rights from Universal, who, who owns those properties, to secure the rights and get clearance to re-release them through Rock Candy Records was years of hard work, red tape, paperwork, the whole deal. And Rock Candy Records really stepped up to the plate and did it right, remastered those two classic Keel MCA albums, Final Frontier from 86, the self-titled album from 87, they sound better than I ever imagined they could. Listening to them now, you hear stuff that you've never heard before. And, and for me, as, as an artist, a musician, a songwriter, singer, it's a huge thrill just to listen to them and also to make them available for the fans that have been paying, let's face it, 50, 75 bucks or more for old bootlegs on eBay for the last couple of decades. For the fans now to be able to get those Brand new Rock Candy reissues is, uh, for me, it's, it's a win-win. And I want to make sure that everybody knows that I've still got some in stock at ronkeel.com. Autographed copies of the Final Frontier and the 87 record. I bought, I bought it, I mean, I invest in, in me. And I, I did, I bought, <laughs> I bought a large quantity of those CDs because, man, I'm one of those guys. I've been buying them off eBay. I literally, I've, I've spent 75 bucks on eBay for that 1987 self-titled Keel album with Somebody's Waiting. And just to have make sure I have a couple extra copies in my personal collection. So I know what it's like to, to do that. So to now have those available to our fans worldwide, and now you can listen to it and hear it and experience it with those 16-page booklets, the interviews, the live photos, the, the, the treatment the Rock Candy Records gave these albums is, is state-of-the-art. And I can't thank them enough for bringing these albums back into the public eye and the public ear. You know, my followers, so many people I interact with, they love Keel, the self-titled Keel. And hey, it was uh, top 10. It was number six on my hair metal list. I, I know you remember that. Um, talk I, do, I do remember that, and I appreciate it, man. Thanks for, uh, for your support and enjoyment of that album. And for, I'm, I'm glad that that record has a special place in your heart and in your music collection. I feel the same way about it. Let's talk about these huge choruses. I'd say this might have the biggest choruses that I've ever heard on, on any album. How did you guys record these? Did you, did you have a bunch of y'all together doing it? Did you overdub? How did you do it? Yeah, you just stack them up, man. Yeah. And that was our first digital recording, the first time when we had unlimited tracks. Before that, you had to record as many vocals as you could and then bounce the tracks down to two stereo left and right and then fly them in and stack more on top of that. With that record, it was the first time we were unrestricted track-wise, so to speak. And for United Nations, the, the lead track on that record, we had 75 voices. We had invited all our friends from Rough Cut and Lion and all the people in the industry, all the people from the label, the publicists, everybody had really had a big party at the studio because we wanted everybody to feel like it was their album too and make them a part of this session, which is something I still do to this day with my fans. I love to have the fans and friends, my, my, all, anybody I can to get into the studio to stack a, a huge background vocal. I'll take that opportunity to do that. But we had 75 people that day for United Nations and then we doubled it, I think a hundred times over and over again ended up with, I think, 1,500 tracks of background vocals and set the Guinness World Record for most background vocals on a rock recording. And, uh, it's yeah, it's a little over the top. Yeah, it's, it's a little overblown. Those, those vocals are so huge. You could never duplicate that live. But the guys in Keel and the guys in the Ron Keel band all sing their asses off, and, and we do our best without any tracks or any uh, augmentation, so to speak. We sing those background vocals live, live and loud as best we can, but there's no way you could ever duplicate United Nations or Somebody's Waiting or Cherry Lane or any of those songs on that 87 record, man. Those background vocals are huge indeed. So you talked about your early days, you know, spinning Kiss records. You got a favorite Kiss record? 
Wow, that's a great question. Uh, being a huge Kiss fan, and you know, that was like many of us of my generation hearing that first album, seeing Kiss for the first time. It was my first concert. It was a huge part of my teenage uprising, so to speak. And I obviously love the early stuff. Love Gun, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, Alive. Favorite? How do you quantify my favorite? Is it the best record? The one that had the most influence on me? The one that I would listen to right now? I tell you, Mike, if I was going to pop in a Kiss record right now, and I've got this vinyl. I've got all of them on vinyl, by the way. And i got a turntable, and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> if I was going to pop in a Kiss record right now, it would have to be either Destroyer or Rock and Roll Over. I think both of those to be here. Soundtrack of my youth, of my flaming youth, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> I, like the, I like the recent stuff, too, man. I like Say Yeah. I like Psycho Circus. I'm a fan. Uh, I, I love Hot in the Shade. I love so many of their songs through the years and so much of what Kiss is all about. Uh, with a body of work that large, yeah, you're going to find some low spots, I guess. Uh, but, man, there's so many high points in the Kiss catalog that have been a, a part of our lives now for over 40 years. Uh, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed for me to say a disparaging remark about Gene, Paul, or Kiss, or anybody that's involved in that that camp. Of course, they get their share of backlash and negativity because that's what everybody does these days, right? They just slam whoever they can slam. Kiss has been a, a huge part of my life, and to know Gene like I know him and to have him produce two of my albums, to, ha to have called him friend, to have been the kid who fought his way to the front row at the Tarrant County Convention Center in Dallas, Texas in 1978 to catch a guitar pick and get hit Gene Simmons' blood and spit and feel the, the heat of the flame on my face. Then seven years later, we're sitting side by side in the studio creating music together. What a dream come true for me. Uh, and to have been just a small thread in that KISS tapestry, doing the KISS conventions the last, what, 15, 20 years that I've gone at these KISS expos where I go and I'm a special guest and I do a Q&A and an acoustic performance and I sell my, my merchandise and, and interact with the KISS band. I, I am KISS Army through and through, man. Always will be. And uh, I, I have nothing but love, admiration, and respect for those guys and that music. Yeah, no, you really have been embraced by the Kiss Army, and I'm sure from, just like you said, they had to be surreal uh, working with one of your heroes, no doubt. Okay, Ron, it's now time to play What Steve Riley Band Will You Go See? I know you're busy, and let's say <laughs> let's say Steve has uh, uh, three different acts that he's got out there, and you can only check out one of them, all right? So one choice would be the one that we all know about is Steve Riley's L.A. Guns, okay? So that's choice A. Choice B is Steve Riley's Wasp. And C is probably the far, the biggest, farthest stretch you could take is Steve Riley's Keel. All right? So which one are you going to see? Dude, I think we need to have Riley Fest and have <laughs> all three bands on the same bill so I can check them all out on the same night. <laughs> Riley Fest. We have Steve Riley's L.A. Guns, Steve Riley's Wasp, and Steve Riley's Keel. The question is, which one would be the opening band? It'd probably be Steve Riley's heel. Uh, man, I love Steve. He's a good dude. I have nothing negative to say about him either. I mean, I saw him on the Monsters of Rock Cruise a few years back. He came up and jammed with Keel. Uh, as a, he's the guy who played on the Right to Rock album and a great guy. And, uh, he has the Right to Rock, man. And I'm friends with Phil Lewis as well. I, I know it, it has to chat Phil's ass. But Riley's out there with L.A. Guns, and now they're—I guess—they're doing a new, a new album, right? Is yes. That, is that what I heard? Yep. Yep. Steve Riley's L.A. Guns is doing a recording for Frontiers. Is that the deal? Uh, or maybe Golden Robot or something like that. Golden Robot. That's it. Yeah. I know a lot wow. of useless shit, Ron. Well, if I was going to check out, if I could only see one of those, I definitely want to see Steve Riley's Keel 
or Mark Ferrari's keel, any keel. I, I'm in. I want to. I want to be in the audience when somebody else goes on stage and uses my name and sings my songs. And I would love to be out there uh, in the audience with my fist in the air, cheering them on. Well, wait, <laughs> listen to this one. Now, now, listen to this thought that I had. Okay, you get Chris Holmes, Randy Piper, Steve Riley. Johnny Rod, and you know maybe you get a, a pretty decent vocalist, and you've got you know the Hellions, Tormentor, the Electric Circus. You got something there, Ron. Dude, if Riley, Piper, Holmes, and Rod want to do a Wasp project with Ron Keel singing, I'll open the door for that right here and now. Uh, you can call it whatever you want to call it. With all former members of Wasp, with Rod Keel up front, I'm in. Whoa, 80s glam metal just formed a band right on the podcast. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Dude, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, Blackie and I go back to the, to the old 80s days, and actually we talked at one point. I know Rick Fox, Rick Fox has to be included, right, because Rick Fox came up with the name. He was an original member of Wasp, right? Rick Fox. Ahead. So, Ron, uh, any final thoughts? What do you want to say to your fans out there? Uh, I just want them to, to know how much I appreciate the support and people that have followed the twists and turns of my career through the years. Yeah, I've changed. I've grown. I've evolved. A lot of fans have evolved with me, and they've opened their ears and their hearts to my new music. I love what we did back in the 80s, man. Tears of Fire, Right to Rock, Somebody's Waiting. All those songs are, are a huge part of my life. I love them, and that's one reason why you'll find those songs on the new album, new versions of those songs. They're they're part of me. They're, they're separate limbs of the same animal. But uh, the fans that have just at least opened their ears and their, their eyes and their hearts to what I'm doing now, because... My mission, my job is to create. Whether people accept it or like it or not, it's out of my control. I cannot, I am not going to be a nostalgia act. I am not going to continue to live off the crumbs of what's left of the 80s. The 80s were fantastic, but I got to cook a new meal. I want fresh food, baby. And the fresh food that you're going to eat, live, breathe, and rock out to. It's my new music with Ron Keel and the Ron Keel Band. So I appreciate everybody uh, riding along shotgun with me on this amazing journey that has been my life. And you can always find me at ronkeel.com. Any question you've got, you can always reach out to me at ronkeel.com. Join my Patreon at patreon.com slash ronkeel. Everything you want, all the videos, links, the store, the, the chili recipe, the tour dates, it's all at ronkeel.com, my mailing address. It's all right there. Uh, of course, links to the social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that. So I appreciate the support. And anybody that's listened, enjoyed my music, and maybe I've made just a little difference in your life, thank you for letting me be a part of your soundtrack. Ron, thanks so much for talking to me tonight, man. This has been amazing. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me on the Metalcast tonight. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate your support. Keep up the great work and let the rock! Man, what an interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I put all the links that Ron mentioned in the description below. Make sure you like and subscribe to the Metalcast and follow on Twitter at 80sGlamMetal1. Keep rocking!